I'd like to welcome you, O future teachers of mindfulness meditation. I'm Tara Brock. And I'm Jack Cornfield. Warm greetings to you. To support you in your training, we've created a special podcast series of the best wisdom teachings from previous years of our teacher training. Now we know that sometimes simply listening and not having to watch a screen is a really good way to open, receive, and learn. The wisdom you'll hear is timeless, so while you may hear references to time, you'll easily connect with the truths that are being shared. May this rich selection of some of our favorite training sessions deepen your understanding of mindfulness and compassion and bring a new dimension to your teaching. We hope you enjoy these special recordings. Many blessings. Welcome everyone to our Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program broadcast. My name is Christy and I'll be your host for this session. Tonight we're privileged to have George Montford joining us. George is broadcasting live from Newton, Massachusetts, while the Sounds True team and I are all here in our Boulder studios. As an aspiring basketball player at the University of Massachusetts, injuries forced George out of the game that he loved. The medications prescribed to relieve his pain numbed him to the emptiness he felt without the game and eventually led him to heroin. After years of making meditation the center of his life and getting clean, George enrolled in Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction program and collaborated with him to create the Inner City Stress Reduction Clinic in the early 90s. Since then, George has worked with coach Phil Jackson of the Chicago Bulls, and his roster of champion clients has since blossomed to include corporate executives, Olympians, and athletes in many different sports. Welcome, George. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and excited to be participating in this teacher training. And uh, I think if someone would have asked me years ago, would I be doing something like this, I probably would would have no. I, I envision myself, like I had a couple of roommates that played uh, professional basketball or maybe I would have been a corporate, you know, executive or something like that. But I got, I got waylaid as, as, as um, was mentioned in the beginning by uh, chronic pain and, and substance abuse. And so when I got clean from substance abuse, I, I still had the chronic pain and I still had to learn how to, to manage that and that's how I got into to mindfulness and the whole process of uh, of self-development um, and I like to say that it wasn't because I had some some intellectual um, curiosity about the practice it was more about my butt was on fire and I had to do something and because I had known about the practice for years but it wasn't until um, I was in a, in a crisis or in, you know, what else am I going to do? Might as well try that. And so when I got into it, I was very pleased to discover that not only did it help me to deal with my, my, my chronic pain and, and my recovery, but it also on the path of what I would call the game I'm playing right now is pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. And it's interesting because I used to practice, I grew up 
grew up in Boston and, and lived in Boston when I got clean. So I was fortunate enough to be around places that, that taught this stuff. So I was in a, a program called Managing Stress. So I actually got into mindfulness through a stress reduction clinic that was put on by the HBO that I was in, which was Harvard Pilgrim Vanguard. Um, I guess Harvard uh, Pilgrim Healthcare is one of the names they use now. So when I got in there and I was in a program and I got introduced to mindfulness and I got introduced to yoga and, and just this whole idea of self-study, this idea of, of becoming more self-responsible in that rather than going and having doctors and other clinicians do things for me, I had to be, I had to participate in my own recovery, my own um, development. And so that was very exciting. And then I, I got into that. Then I learned about the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, which was in Cambridge, which was an inner city clinic, uh, inner city, I'm sorry, meditation uh, center. And then we had the Center for Mindfulness. At that time, it was the Stress Reduction and, Relax Stress Reduction and Relaxation Program out in Worcester, Mass at UMass Medical Center. And also had IMS, or Insight Meditation Society, and that was before they had the Buddhist uh, Center, for, uh, the Center for Buddhist Studies or the, the, the other, um, the uh, Forest Refuge. That was way before then. So I was fortunate enough to be able to go into deep contemplation or just learn how to implement uh, mindfulness into my, uh, well, mindfulness meditation or the whole practice of meditation into my, my lifestyle or my life. It became part of my life. And so it was when I was work. I, I lived at the Cambridge Center for about six years, and I used to. So I did a kind of teacher training in those days, where Larry Rosenberg was my main teacher. And I remember I used to do a lot of retreats and do things. And one day he came over to me and he said, "You know, I think you should teach." And I said, "I don't want to teach." And he said, "That's exactly why I want you to teach because you don't want to teach, but I think you'll be good at it." And so. Reluctantly, I, I got into that process of just wanting to learn how to help others. And of course, without me really thinking about it, I was teaching some of my, some of the folks that I was in recovery with, I was teaching them how, about meditation and teaching them how I use, sharing with them how I use the practice to not only um, deal with my recovery, but also to have a, a better quality of life to really, like I said, be pursuing excellence and wisdom. So for me, it started out with me just taking care of myself and me following following Socrates' advice, know thyself, and decide to understand that. And what I recognized when I got clean was this idea that, that I'd like to be intellectually stimulated or that I needed to, uh, I was really interested in wisdom. And so that's how I got into this path. So I started studying and doing retreats. And then I went back to school and got a counseling psychology degree. And, and I just continued to be on this path of self-discovery. And at the same time, it, it, it occurred to me that the best way to learn about this stuff is to teach it. So my motivation for teaching was, was not to, for some ego-driven reason, it was just really because my teacher asked me to do it in some old fashion. So when my teacher tells me to do something, I do it. So that's how I got into teaching. And of course, what happens when 
I think at the time, I think it was 1989, I believe I was still working as a financial analyst because I worked as, in corporate for 16 years. I was a funding um, substance abuser, substance um, abuser. Or, and what happened is at that time, I was watching Joseph Campbell's Power of Myth. And it was interesting that how he kept saying, follow your bliss. And here I was working as a financial analyst, really good at what I did, but my heart wasn't in it. And so that's when I left that. And then that's when I moved into the meditation center. So I really had two years of being able to sit and focus on myself in the study. And of course, I did a three-month course and a full 90-day retreat, then a half of half a retreat or six, six weeks this year. In the meantime, I started working with inmates in prisons. And then what happened was I got a... I got a request when I was at the Center for Mindfulness to, to go to the Chicago Bulls training camp. And Phil Jackson was interested in somebody coming in and, and teaching the Bulls how to deal with stress of success. And, and 25 years later, I'm still collaborating with Phil Jackson and his various teams and, and I'm working with a lot of other folks. So that's how I got into this. But I continued to, to work for five years at the Center for Mindfulness and then continue to to um, learn about that process, mindfulness-based stress reduction. But at the same time, I was doing meditation retreats and doing a lot of self-study, not just about meditation, but about psychology, philosophy. I was very interested in existential psychotherapy as well as existential um, philosophy because it was my experience that that when I got clean and when I started working on things, that the more freedom I, I had, the more anxiety I was experiencing. So I seem to always be going through some form of, um, of grief, you know, going through the five stages, you know, like um, bargaining, denial, uh, you know, anger, depression, acceptance. And, and, it, and I got, it got clear to me that, that one of the things about knowing thyself is that, I have to let go or I have to forget myself to find myself. So in terms of leadership, when I think about the title of the, of this talk, leading with wisdom, the flow of leadership, it all begins with, with self-leadership or self-development or know thyself. And that's how it was in my experience. And so when I learned about myself and I taught others, I was, it was this crossover between me not really going in and, and and just teaching, but going in and, and learning. So when I can, when I can have uh, an interesting thing about this practice is it talks about the Buddha said that don't believe what I said, see if it's true. So the idea is to teaching and then to investigate and to see if it's true. And that was my experience, and I and I got more and more into it. But I studied a lot of psychology, philosophy. I would say in the thirty four and a half years that I've been in recovery, I've averaged over a book a week, and and I just I'm just asking people and things, watching videos and that sort of thing. So for me, for me to become the teacher that I am and to be able to go to into the different modalities, I had to really understand the practice on a deep level and then be able to translate it. So I I find that because initially there weren't really many teaching opportunities for me to go out and teach at IMS or CIMC or, or any other place that, that when I lived at the Cambridge Center, we used to get requests 
for people to go out and, and teach meditation. So it could be, could be a business. It could be a, um, a, a school. It could be a youth center where, you know, you had at risk youth and I would go out and, and, and teach. So I did that for a number of years. And then I used to observe beginners dropping at the center for about six years. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, just observing and, and being involved in learning about myself and learning about, about the teaching. And, and so when I got these opportunities to go into these centers, there really wasn't anyone that I could consult with other than my teachers. And, and one of the, 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 the things that Larry Rosenberg for me was that if somebody asked me to teach, I had to teach. And if only one person showed up, I was supposed to teach. So it was really clear from day one that that it wasn't so much how many people were in the audience or who was in the audience. What was really important was for me to be able to share Dhamma, be able to share the teachings with, with folks uh, so that I could, because I'm very interested in alleviating or eliminating suffering. So that was the thing. So I had that old school teachers that talked about, you know, whether it was Jack Kornfield or Joseph Goldstein or Sharon Salzberg, I had those teachers that were really grounded in a this tradition. And uh, it was the threefold training. It wasn't just training in mindfulness. And some people look at mindfulness and say mindfulness by itself is enough. It's not enough. So there's mindfulness, but there's also right effort. There's also uh, right concentration. And if, And for me, Everything I did, the reason I was able to go into these different realms and teach is because I, I based everything on the fundamental teachings of the Buddha. That's for me. That's what works. I can bring in psychology and philosophy as skillful means. But for me, it was the threefold training. So when we talk about uh, the, able, the, the noble eightfold path, and we're talking about, so we have wisdom, we have morality or integrity, and then we have concentration is what people call it, but I like to use it. I like to use mental discipline or mental training. And so in the, in the wisdom piece is right, right view and right intention. And, and the morality piece is right speech, right action, right livelihood. And, and the, and the, you know, the mental training is right mindfulness. And I think a lot of people, collapse, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, and at least focus on the mental piece, not realizing that you need the wisdom or understanding what, is, what am I doing? What am I being mindful of? And that wisdom has to be predicated on the fact that things are always changing and permanence and there's, there's suffering and that uh, they say there's no self. I like, I prefer to view it as the illusion of separateness. So there's an illusion of separateness. We are all connected. Things are connected more, more ways than we think. So that wisdom has to drive the morality and the morality creates the purity of heart or the ability to power to do the investigation with the right effort. But they all work together and are all working in sync. So, and the main one is mindfulness. Mindfulness is the heart of it because with the mindfulness, you can develop things. So, so there's no way full pass. So it has to be training and wisdom. That's what we're after, getting wisdom, because that's how we, how we alleviate suffering, because suffering is caused by greed, hatred, and confusion, or illusion, or ignorance. And the idea is, you know, so to combat greed, we use renunciation, generosity, 
uh, hatred, we use love and kindness, but we're also talk about compassion. And for the ignorant, it's just understanding how things work so that we can align ourselves with things. So for me, it was really important in recovery, and I wrote this in my book, I talk about this in my book, The Mindful Athlete Secrets of Pure Performance. Everything starts as, um, as Einstein said, the, the, the most important question we have to ask is whether or not the universe is friendly or unfriendly. Uh, so I, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but basically, if you decide that the universe is friendly, or the glass is half full, and that there's a lawfulness to it, then, then the idea is to use all of my resources, all of our resources, to develop the understanding and the wisdom to align ourselves with how things work, the lawfulness of the universe. And so it's not personal, it's just, there's a lawfulness to it. So when there's when when you when there's hatred if you if you try to address hatred with, with hatred doesn't work the only way we address hatred is with love and so there's this thing i don't care you don't have to believe in gravity but if you jump up you will come down so it's understanding that there's a lawfulness and so when we know that there's a lawfulness and there's a teaching or practice then now we have the trust that that it matters it matters how i think how i feel how i behave so if i understand that i'm responsible to how i re react or respond to something through word thought or deed then then that's what i need to do i need to cultivate that ability to, to live in alignment with things and so we talk about right speech right action right livelihood but so there's 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 like initial right and uh wisdom uh, uh, wisdom and i like to think about wisdom as information intellect the rational thought and a direct experience or intuition so that's when we're looking at wisdom so every time we're mindful of something there has to be wisdom or a clear understanding of what are we doing what are we being mindful of and why are we being mindful and what's the best way to be mindful so so is that teaching of the wisdom is helping with the mindfulness, but but the mindfulness can can be helped by morality because if I go out and I rob, if I'm I'm sitting at CIMC and there's a store 24 down the block, and if I go in that store 24 and rob and then go into the center and sit down, every time I hear a siren, I'm going to think it's police coming to get me. So there's something about morality and purity of of conduct to word, thought, and deed that's really helpful. So right speech has to do with and as a teacher, what it says to me is right speech is how do I speak in a way that creates more harmony instead of divisiveness? How do I speak in a way where 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 I can honor my words so I'm not lying or, or gossiping or any of those things? So it comes down to non-harmony. It comes down to, you know, not 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 having a mind of greed, hatred, or confusion and understanding that there's a there's a there's a training there so just to know that the wisdom helps with the morality and morality helps with the with the mindfulness because morality is another way of saying connecting the power so in my book the mindful athlete i talk about we talked about trust trust has to be bound with with wisdom or understanding if we have too much understanding then we become cynical so we have to balance that with 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 trust, we have too much trust. We become polyandrous. So, so with the five spiritual powers or the superpowers, I call them, that are all in the context of how all this stuff works. You you have to have 
the the wisdom being balanced by by faith and then in terms of effort right effort and right effort is really interesting because you make the right effort when it's when it's grounded in the right intentions so when the mind is right everything else is right but right effort is an effort to to change our mind and have mind in a wholesome mind state so that we're in that mindset of of compassion of renunciation of love and so on and so when we make the right effort then we can be mindful and the mindfulness helps us when we when we're not making the right effort because there's effort then there's right effort right effort is grounded in wholesomeness not harming not stealing not lying not taking intoxicants not not harming someone through sexual misconduct or any other kind of misconduct so it's really understanding the, the two the threefold path path is what's happening we're cultivating wisdom we want to know how things work speaking wisdom all the time the wisdom and the mindfulness from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed we can be mindful to the degree that you know what's my mind doing what am i focused on am i being you know is it wholesome is it unwholesome is there lust in the mind is there love in the mind? Is there compassion in the mind? That's all we need to know. And once we get to understand that it's there, then we can see that our speech, where thought and deed is going to come out of that. So the wisdom piece is really understanding what kind of mind am I operating with? What kind of mind am I meditating with? It could be that simple. So from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we can be practicing on some level. And so the mindfulness is really helpful, but right effort helps us be mindful and and mindfulness helps right effort. But then if we can apply our, our attention through through right effort and then we can sustain our attention, then we, we have we have a collected mind or concentrated mind. But it's understanding the the con the training, the mental training is not enough by itself. All of them need each other. And sometimes I think people uh, doing mindfulness, but it's not right mindfulness because it's not grounded in, in wisdom and morality and non-harming. So that's, to me, that's why, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book. And so when I talk about effort, it has to be with concentration or poise or wisdom. I mean, uh, poise or, or just focus, being focused. And if you're too focused, that's, that doesn't help because you can get sluggish because you're so too concentrated and if you have too much effort and not enough poise or, or, or centeredness, then you're frenetic. So it's, it's managing and it's easy when we teach and when we go in and we do things, we start with the self. So whoever we are being is having an impact on, on what we're able to say. So, so to me, it's a threefold training and that goes on all the time. We can get better and we can get more wisdom. We can, we can purify conduct because sometimes our conduct has, has a little edge to it and we don't know until after the fact. So that's why we continue to, to look at our word, thought and deeds and this non-harming idea. And then turning it the opposite way is, so we, we practice things like love and kindness, like compassion practice and appreciative joy and equanimity or developing this ability to be in what I call the eye of the hurricane. Those are things that we can develop. So it's not so much just abstaining from things, but we can actually, and it's interesting because we can, I call that, that's called performance. Performance is when we're able to practice loving kindness and then go out and then behave in a loving way, to speak in a loving way. And when we can be more 
um, not just compassionate, but kind and joy, to live in joy, to appreciate when someone else uh, gets good, good fruit from their effort so that we, we start to combat jealousy. So a lot of these practices are about that. So it's one thing to sit and be silent, and that's great. But it's another thing, how are we behaving? How are our words? Are our words loving? Are they compassionate? Are they joyful? And so you, we look at that aspect of it, and they all feed each other. And the interesting thing is research proves it out, that, that you can predict someone's success in a job, let's say teaching. Uh, you can predict... I feel like the one thing that's helped me a lot was the idea of this idea of a right effort or having a positive mind state or what, what the Sean calls positive genius that we know people who are, have uh, live in optimism or come from that, that, that positivity that, that, that enhances our ability to see things. They call it the broaden and build theory where you actually are able to see things and, and your, your, your cognition works much better when you come in from a, from a from one of those positive mind states, and then the second thing is 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 social support. So people who have a positive know how to keep their mind in positivity or being optimistic. People and having a community that helps us supports us not just because they love it, but also hold us accountable and make sure when we are not doing the right thing that we, they can in a kind way sort of you know, say, okay, you know, what's up with that? That's not helpful, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you might consider doing it the other way. So that is helpful. So, and then the third thing is no matter what happens, and this goes back to to uh, one of my guys, Victor Franco, when he says between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in that space we get the, the power and the freedom to choose. So even if it's something like being in a concentration camp, we may not want to be there, course we don't want to be there but we choose our attitude people dying of cancer or dying of aids back in the day or whatever they can choose to die with dignity they can choose to relate to their experience in a particular way i remember back when i was first in recovery one of my uncles was dying of cancer and i remember we were having a conversation and he said to me he says how come you don't come around as much because he moved to boston and he was getting this cancer treatment. And I said, well, because I'm going to these meetings because I have a problem with substance abuse. And lo and behold, when he died, he decided he didn't want to take pain meds because he wanted to have a clear consciousness when he met his maker. So, so it's something about when we do the right thing and when, we, when we're just honestly communicating with people that we have an impact on others. So to me, I'm not just doing it for me, I'm doing it for the whole universe. And so once we understand that, that each time we can overcome uh, impulse to harm or impulse to get engaged in, in sensual desire, that we are actually helping ourselves and helping others. So, so to me, it's all about self, know thyself, so I can be myself, so I can share myself. And that's it. So know thyself so you can, so I can be myself, so I can express myself, so I can share myself. And so when I teach, and so that's the process that I rely on. It's those the threefold training and also just this idea of, of being clear about what, it, what, am I, what am I doing? And I have core values or what we would say, you know, that morality piece, you know, not, not killing, not stealing, not 
taking intoxicants and that sort of stuff. So for me, my core values would be like love, curiosity, truth, commitment to truth, wisdom, integrity, the, you know, honor my word. When I say something, I keep my word. And if I can't, I clean up. And so integrity is really important. So especially self-integrity where I'm, I don't violate my own core values. Like I can compromise, but not to the point where I'm, where I'm, where I'm violating my core values. So for me, I don't even know if I want to talk more about it. It's just that, that, and then I don't do it. And of course, in the pro, in, in the practice, you know, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So that's our social support. The Buddha is somebody like us. We all have Buddha nature. We have a masterpiece within or Christ consciousness, whatever you want to have. We start with that. That's birthright. And then we have teachings that help us get there. And then the Sangha is the, the social support of the community. And then the third thing is seeing, seeing um, crisis as a challenge. And so that's, once again, that's Victor Frankl, where we may not, when we react, because there's no space between stimulus and we can meditate, reflect on it, and then say, okay, the next time that happens, I'm going to create space, and then I'm going to make a different choice, a choice that's consistent with who I say I want to be and consistent with my core values of wanting to be loving or non-harming and just wanting to be a service and, and help others. So I don't know if I want to talk a lot more than that. But to me, even though we talk about leading with wisdom, it's leading thyself and then understanding that the flow of leadership, or I'll, I'll give a definition of leadership. There are many definitions out there, but there's a, there's a rugby team somewhere in Massachusetts here. And the coach was, was talking to, they had like maybe, let's say this, maybe 45 or 50 people on the team. And so he had five freshmen. He was talking to them and he was asking them about leadership. He said, he said, what's your, he said, who are the leaders on this team? And of course, they do like most of us say, oh, the seniors or the captains, they're the leaders. And then he asked them, what's your definition of leadership? And of course, if you ask most people, that means I, I make people behave. You know, I carry them, stick them. You know, it's like if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, I chastise them or if they're doing what they need to do, I you know, maybe I give them something, maybe I don't. Uh, but that was the definition. And what the coach said, well, my definition of leadership is that you make people around you better or you, or you, you help us. So I like to use the analogy of when I work with teams, I, I, I feel like I'm a cluster, I'm a star. And I'm surrounded by a cluster of stars. And the best way for me to shine is to let the, help the cluster to shine. And so leadership, and in that definition, everyone's a leader, not just the teacher, but everyone. It's not just the, the eldest in the family or the CEO. No, everyone has to get to a point where they take personal responsibility, but they won't do that if you treat them as a thing and not as a person. And so when we interact with each other, especially when we're teaching, it's able to see that there's Buddha nature and everybody we're working with. There's a masterpiece there. We're not going in and fixing anybody. At least that's how I do it when I go into these different modalities. I see a masterpiece. I see the Buddha. I see the divine spark. And that's what I'm relating to. That's what I'm relating to, a whole person. They have a body, mind, heart, and soul, or spirit, whatever you want to call it. So if I leave any one of those aspects of their being out, I'm relating to a thing. 
And if somebody's treating me like a thing, there's no way I'm giving my heart. I'm going to resist. I'm going to do what they ask me to do, but hope it doesn't work. But what we want is what I like to do when I work with people, I go in and they're, they're teaching me. I'm not teaching them really, although I'm going in with some understanding, but it's really going in, how can I be a service? How can I help? And can I meet them where they are? And so for me, what's really helpful is, is my practice, my mindfulness. The mindfulness informs me. If I'm in the eye of the hurricane, then I'm no, I'll just let things speak in their own language. And then in that knowing there's a wisdom that comes out and then, then I'll know what to do. And I'll give you an example of that. My first, one of my first classes teaching in prison was a prison called Norfolk. And it was about, I had about 30 mates in, in the class and I had developed all of these uh, amazing lecture notes. I was going to go in and give them the gospel according to Buddha. And I go in there and 28 of them were Spanish speaking only. So, so I said, oh, okay, so much for that. So I had to have an interpreter. So those notes went out the window. I had to just be in a room and just keep it simple and just really just, just speak to them uh, based on what was in the room. So the mindfulness and wisdom was just picking it up and then dealing with that. So, so a lot of times best laid plans are not going to happen, but the idea is to be there and see what's there and see how to relate to it in a way that works. And so to me, that's, that's what it's about. A lot of times I have preparation, but then you go in and you got to meet people where they are. You got to be where they are. But what helps me do that is my own personal practice, my own ability to know how I'm being and how I'm communicating. And when I make mistakes, which I will do, uh, can I be compassionate with myself and say, okay, that happened. How do I learn from it? And how can I let it go and not feel like I never teach again because I made a mistake or I didn't know what the, how to answer a question. It's okay to say, I don't know. Let me get back to you. But, but that is, that is what helped me and helps me in those situations. And I go in situations last year, about a year ago, I go down to Roanoke and they had me speaking to high school kids and they didn't tell me this, but they put me in the gym with 2,000 high school kids and I had to keep them quiet for that many minutes. That was a challenge. I wouldn't do it again, but I had to figure it out. <laughs> I had to figure it out. It happens. I go into prison. Same thing happens. I may have to move my floor and what, you know, treat them out the floor or something happens. I have to be able to hold the space. And that's something that is really important. How do I hold the space? Be the eye in the hurricane. Be the calm in the storm and be able to keep things from from uh, exploding or getting too excited. I have to hold the space. I have to hold that, that, that ease. And I have to, I can relate to them in a way where they have hope, that optimism I talked about before. And seeing things, okay, what's to learn here? Okay, how do we deal with this in a way that's skillful? So it's really that simple. So I don't know if I want to say more than that. I know I have some, some questions, but... The whole, my whole point is that, that everybody has to find their way. Everyone has to be themselves so that they can, they got to know, I have to know myself to be myself, to express myself, to share myself. And I think to, the best way to find yourself is to forgive yourself because you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You are not what you think you are. Ah, yes, but what you think you are. 
So okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's what's the what's the what's the what's the challenge then? To mm-hmm. know what you're thinking. Because there's a book called The Strangest Secret. You know what the strangest secret is? Mm. You become what you think about all day long. Yes. Okay. That's that's powerful. That's one of those things I can just chew on it all day. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you for that, by the way. You have raised lots of um lots of opportunity to just kind of drop in and be with any one of these um bits of wisdom that you shared. They're like, yeah little gifts um you mentioned that your butt was on fire those were your words right before you got that got into that first meditation program or or like stress management program what part of your self at the time kept you coming back because a lot of people who start down the meditation path who had very um very relatively trouble-free experiences before that Mm -hmm. will express having lots of resistance to sitting still or to being with whatever came up. And so they're not necessarily on fire when they go into a practice, but you, you were on fire and yet there was a part of you that knew that this was where you needed to be. And and can you talk a little bit about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was just watching. Um, there's an old movie. It's called. It was Captain of Castile or something like that with uh, Tyrone Power and Cesar Romero. And one of the things, and it's not a happy thing because it's the, when the the Spanish conquistadors came here and you know did what they did. But what he did was he burnt the ship, so they had no retreat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. So for me, when you hit rock, when you hit bottom, it can be a spiritual bottom. The only you, you tried everything, nothing else works. So this is it. You get to a point where there's a moment of truth, and you want and say, "Okay, I am willing to let go and let Buddha or whatever. I'm I'm willing to be humble and say, I don't know." And I'm going to try this because I tried everything else and I'm ready. So it's the readiness principle and it's an unconscious thing. Once you're ready, there's something about having your butt on fire and then you say, you know, I've been, they've been telling me about meditation for a lot since I was in college. So I know about it and it, and it seems to work. So, and I can't use drugs. I don't have any other option. That's it. There's no, there's no retreat. <laughs> you know, the ships are burnt. <laughs> and you know, only way I can do is just deal with what's here. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what it comes down to: is dealing with life on life's terms. So if I can see, okay, I'm dealing with life on life's terms, and they're telling me that there's a lawfulness, so let me try it. So once I got a taste of it, then it's like, okay, I can roll with this. This works. So that's the thing: is getting the direct experience of the practice working. That's so key. If 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 I, if, we, if I can help somebody get the experience of it, then then they'll they'll be hooked. 
they'll, they'll get it. They'll understand, okay, this works, let me go. Now, they might forget about it, but at some point, because the Buddha did, the Buddha forgot about his practice uh, when he was a little boy sitting under the tree and going into the going into the different stages of concentration. And then years later, he remembered, oh, I remember I did that. And he went back into doing it. So even the Buddha can forget. So, but the thing is, 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 is that's, that's what it is. It's like, there's a commitment. Once the commitment is made, once I, I, I say that that works or that that's the path for me, once I consent to it being true and helpful, it's helpful. Now, when you first started getting those teaching assignments and your your mentor and uh, also who is also a teacher of yours said you got to accept when people ask you to teach, you started going out to a lot of different places and to, to prisons, to to where all the places that you went and you started working with athletes. And so I wonder about students in this program who are looking to build their um, teaching skills and how important do you think it is to create a specific niche or area of, of discipline or expertise as one becomes a teacher? I would say follow your bliss. So, so, let's, so let's just say you're interested in athletics or you're interested in working with kids, then go with that. Just go with that. If you don't know, then then just get into the joy of teaching for no reason, but just because it's, it's what you love to do. So to me, it's really about teaching or, or alleviating suffering. So, because I, I got asked, because right now I'm working with an NFL team. National Football League, um, Miami Dolphins, and working with them, and so I've never, I've never worked with a football team that way. And of course, that's the last bastion, and that's a paramilitary organization. There's a lot of stuff, and people will say, "Well, you know, what's your favorite sport to work with?" And I said, "I don't have a favorite sport. It's more about who, who I am working with and the opportunity to teach." So I may know basketball, and I may be known for basketball because I work with the elite of the elite, but it's not really the sport. It's me having the engagement with the person in front of me, for the team in front of me. And that's it, especially when they get it or when they're open to it and they're hungry. There's no feeling like that. When you see somebody, the light turn on and whatever. So it's a joy of discovery. It's a joy of how do I make the connection? How can I help this person be who they are? Because to me, that's why I'm here. I'm here to release the divine spark in each and every person I interact with. That's that's the game I'm playing. Mm. And when did you come to that understanding? About four or five years ago, I was doing a program hmm. called uh, in, in Landmark Education called uh, Living Life Cre- Creatively and Fully or whatever. And so I had to come up with a what they call a charter. So my charter is... Um, to be, you know, what, what's my purpose for being here? To release the divine spark in each and every person or human being I see. The values that are at the heart of who I am are love, curiosity, truth, wisdom, integrity, selfless service, compassion, courage. That for which I could be counted on is to be loving with a warrior spirit, with a serving and compassionate heart, pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. 
Okay. Now, I, a lot, isn't it? yes, <laughs> <laughs> I want to dig in there with tools, but we yes, got other things yes, to talk about. But that's what I had to do because I can do a lot of things, but what am I here to do? I got to get clear with it. Like John Cabazin would say, what's your J-O-B, the big J-O-B? Why did God put you here? Or why did, why are you here? What is you can do that no one else can do? Mm. Okay. I have a student, a question from a student who asks how, okay, do you need to be a particular character type in order to be a teacher or a leader? Because as someone who deals with a great deal of anxiety, I sometimes feel the role can be demanding on my nervous system despite practicing to calm it down. Well, there's a lot of concepts there. And, and there's a lot of ideas about what's happening. So your belief systems, this is what Gandhi said, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, your values become your, your destiny. So all of that, those are just thoughts and they're learned. So as I said, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So you got to think consistently with who you say you want to be. Think and act. Yes. Okay. Well, the thoughts, well, it's got to be oh, the right, thoughts because... that lead to action. It can't be just thought. It's got to, but that's where the motivation, that's where the commitment comes in. So, they, you know, it has to be a sense of urgency or you'll say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Manana, manana. No, it's like, so, so the thing is that those are our ideas. The thing is, who do you want to be? And the practice is, is real simple. Now, am I saying everybody can do it? No, I'm not saying that. But the anxiety is always there. It's on the other side of, of uh, freedom or your potential or, you know, Kierkegaard calls it the alarming possibility of being able. Mm. So to say that you're going to accept freedom without anxiety and anxiety is just, you know, the thing is, the problem is we identify with this as a saying, it's just a mind state that comes and goes like everything else. And maybe it's teaching us something. So if we look at the anxiety as a teacher or like the, like a door, we can walk through that. Mm. But if you don't think you can, you won't. And you think that because the nervous system is programmed how to approach what is what is pleasant to, Avoid what is unpleasant and the space out of it's neither, unless you have wisdom there and then there's an equanimity being an eye of the hurricane and just seeing things saying that's interesting. Whatever I experience, that's not me. That's just what's happening. The thoughts come and go, impermanence. Mm -hmm. And not self. It's just the conditions are right. So best thing is change your mind. So you're in the mind of anxiety, you're gonna see everything consistent with that. So the first thing you gotta know is that anxiety is present and how do I abandon it? Mm. Okay. Now, can I, can I look at another, can I take you to another facet of this question? Because yes. I think I'm I, ready to go. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's on now. Yeah. So I see a little bit of, um, you know, some of my own questions in this student's question, because what if it's that I've come to this teacher training program with a really noble idea and the right action uh, that's that's brought me here saying, you know, reduce suffering in the world. Your your mission is to change the world. So if I say I have a mission as to bring my light to bear on this particular 
issue, right? And so sitting with that, I mean, what if that feels overwhelming? Like, who am I to say I'm going to change the world just by being, you know, little old me? Now, is that uh, also a manner of uh, shifting my my perspective and my mindset? Is it uh, false humility? It, what exactly am I working with? Well, that's, that's, that's what the practice is about. You got to contemplate and see what's there. <laughs> you you got to get to that. But here's an interesting thing. You ever hear the butterfly effect? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if the wings of a butterfly can affect tsunami, then your, every thought we have is either making things better, worse, or whatever. So we have that power. We, we As human beings, we have the capacity that whatever we hold in mind becomes reality. It gets manifested. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got to know, so that you got to watch your dialogue. That, that self-talk is, you know, so, so I'll give you an example. You ever have a conversation with somebody and they're not there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then the way when you meet them, that conversation comes out the same way that you have played it out in your mind. So you were creating that. So what if you created it as going well and 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 everybody getting to a place where they can, everything's okay? So the whole point comes down to, okay, how you feel is not who you are. It's how you feel it has a lot to do with how you're thinking, how you're seeing things. So if you change how you see things, everything else changes. What did you learn about yourself after you said yes to being a teacher? I'm a bad mofo. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. What I, what I learned was, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I learned about myself is that um, what I said, I am not who I think I, I am not what I think I am, but what I think I am. And that a lot of times I get worried about stuff it never happens. So I came up with the saying, don't worry till you have to. Uh, uh-huh. And and education said, don't worry as long as you can pray. But if you can't pray, then you should. <laughs> so so you get what I'm saying? So yes. it's all about you create with the word. That's 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 how it starts. You look at the Bible, you look at any place, it's the word, it's your intention, it's it's what are you creating? So you, you gotta ask yourself that question. If you don't like that's where we have, we have, we have self-determination, personal responsibility, because we got self-awareness, we have self-reflection. So we can, we have this ability, like I said, we have this masterpiece or this Buddha nature or Christ consciousness, Kuan Yin consciousness, whatever you want to call it. We have the ability to, to observe our experience in a way where we can step aside, step back and observe what we're doing. So we can watch our behavior do this, but can we see it? With mindfulness, with non-judgmentalness, can we just let it happen? Even though there's a problem, it's like I don't even want to see that. Right. So, so you can see because it's unpleasant, right? So if you start noticing, oh, it's unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. You can get comfortable being uncomfortable once you realize it's not going to kill you. And is that what you mean by being in the eye of the storm? Yes. Like because in the eye of the storm, it's clear sky. Everything, but if you get out here now, you're in it. This is what we do. We get in there, and we get identified with it. And there's there's a there's a there's a at homeness with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is this is who I am. No, yeah. it's not. You get in here because in the space, you just think about it this way. So you get rid of the noise and the clutter. There's nothing there, but everything's there. Yes. 
Now that brings up a point that you brought up a couple of times about Viktor Frankl saying the the stimulus and the resistance, and there's no no space in there, so we revert to the old stuff. But right. when we can create that space, then that's, that's what the practice does, right there. Okay, so, so talk a little bit about how we can create this space between okay. the stimulus yes. and the so. So if you think about the, the process of, of perception, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'll use an analogy. I grew up in Boston and we used to have to take a, a bus to one place and then got to run downstairs and take another bus. So let's say I'm going to to Brockton. So, uh, and in those days, the they didn't have the name or the location on the side of the bus. It was on the front of the bus. So I'm coming down, I'm running down, I see the bus there and I run and I look at front and I see BR and I jump on the bus. You know, I just see the two, I didn't give myself enough time to see the two letters and then I fill in the blanks. That's what the, the mind does. Mm-hmm. I get on the bus, I was trying, I was wanted to go to, to Brockton, but I ended up going to Bridgewater. Oh, how, how far was that? It doesn't matter. I didn't give myself the space to see the next letter. Oh, didn't As many letters as I needed to to understand that, okay, that's the right place. So I'm in a hurry, and this is how I, our, our mechanical way of seeing things, we see things based on what we already know, mm-hmm. and we don't really create the space where where the pure, raw, just taking in the raw data is expanded, because we're not moving, we're not interrupting, we're just letting it unfold. So that can look like just physically or literally pausing for a beat to breathe. That's right. Exactly right. It's like you got the impulse, but you don't. You just sit there, just be still and know. They didn't put that in the Bible for no reason. Mm-hmm. All right. But you got to be still. Buddha, everybody say, by be still and watch. Or Yogi Berra said, you can see a lot just by observing, right? <laughs> you know, you sit there, you can watch your thoughts, you can watch your, you know, your feelings, and they come and go. Mm-hmm. But because we see them, we go with them, and we identify with them. So we're looking at things to a default. We have a default future. We're looking at things based on what we experience rather than seeing it based on on being open and, and full of uh, possibility. That was loaded, what you said just there. We're looking at a default future. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's what we do, and that's why you can you look at people. You see them yeah. keep doing the same things, and they do the same things, expecting different results. We call that insanity. Insanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do because it's it's comfortable, and it, it you, you know it takes it takes trust to be able to, to to be with the discomfort, especially when you see things you've been doing for years and you know it doesn't work. Now you got to say, okay, do I accept this? And that means all those all that stuff was crap, or you know I've been wasting my time. Or do I do like what my Angelo used to say? When you know better, you do better. Do better, right? So there's got to be a willingness to accept. Okay, I that was an error, and I can change it. So if you base your whole life on something and it changes because it will, because the conditions change, now you identify with it. So when you're not just letting go of something, you're letting go, or you're or you're delegitimizing who you think you are. You're delegitimizing who you think you are by allowing the that open space to come in, yeah, right? And to, to access that neutrality, yeah. that neutral space. 
Yeah, our, our basic, our basic. I mean, we were born to live in joy, but if we live in joy two days, we're very uncomfortable. We're waiting for the school to, the shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing I ain't got nothing to do with what comes up, what what has to do with is our interpretation of what something happens and how we interpret what it means. Yeah. But that's what we do. We interpret things. It's, it's no, it's how things occur to us. It's not reality. So, okay, let's go back to you being a financial analyst. Right. And and there was the the injury and drug use that I imagine was happening over the course of your that mm-hmm. career. And that's you right. realize it, it wasn't working, so you didn't stay on that track or that default future. Mm-hmm. Now, you really did go into a lot of uncertainty with that because you walked away from, I, I don't imagine you were missing many meals with that job. No, no, I was getting paid well, and I was <laughs> exactly. really good at it. But here's the point. So. I, I couldn't be, I, uh, it got too painful to stay and it got, you know, so you're in conflict. I don't want to leave, but I don't want to stay. Mm-hmm. And then something happened where my ass was on fire and I left. Okay. You know, and, and the reason I wanted to touch on that was because uh, I imagine a fair amount of students in this program might also find themselves at a different kind of crossroads or something. That's I would say that's probably, that's probably not the exception, but the rule. Yes because they're looking for something else or they're looking for a connection or they want to connect with something greater than themselves or whatever the reason is. Exactly. And sometimes what we do is because we have this, I won't say it's arrogant, but we have this idea everybody wants, wants to be mindful and wants to, wants to be in the way things are. And that is not true. What's that? Sometimes denial or repression has to do with we know exactly what's going to happen or we know what it means. If we really see things, then we're going to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. So if we're in the marriage we don't want to be in or if we're in a job we don't want to be in or we're in a, or somebody's treating us the way we shouldn't allow them to treat us or we're treating somebody in a way we shouldn't be treating them, we don't really want to see that. Right. And then seeing it, Stepping away from those things that we're familiar with, the devil that we know, as you said, leaning out into the storm, right? That's right. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Okay. Let me let me let me go back to the questions that the students have submitted yeah. because yeah. Okay. we could go places. All right. Yeah. Uh what's the best way to make mindfulness accessible, a student writes. And they they continue by saying, uh, when I co-taught a group of teenage boys in an alternative to incarceration program, I wanted to use examples I thought they could relate to. But as a middle-aged white woman co-teaching with an even older white woman, I felt so far from their experience that I struggled to come up with examples that felt relatable. Yes. So one of the things I learned in, in going to all the recovery groups that I've been going through over the last 34 and a half years is what you want to do is you want to exp- you want to share your experience, strength and hope. So if you talk about your emotion and you're real, you speak from the heart, they'll, they'll understand it. It's not like you have to see it exactly like you, but what do you do when you feel like punching somebody? What do you feel like when 
when somebody disrespects you? What do you do when um, you get treated like a second-class citizen? They have those experiences. Mm-hmm. And is this so you so so you get? But then, but here's here's even more important. Listen to them and see what they're saying, and see and hear and see how you can see things how they see things, and then because you got to understand then to be understood. So to me, it's about making the practice real. So we had this idea, okay, you sit in silence and then you'll figure it out. No, good luck with that one. But if you say, okay, this is the issue, or, you know, did you have any happy moments today? Yeah, I did this and this happened. Well, if you focus on that, then you have more happy moments and understand, well, how that happened? Well, make it happen again. So there's a lot of things you can do, but you got to get out of your identity and just focus on being, you know, speaking one masterpiece to another. One masterpiece to another. Yes. Or one Buddha nature to another, Buddha nature, Aquanian nature, whatever you want to call it, the mind spark. But that's what you have to do. How do I meet this person where they are mm-hmm. and and talk about what it means to be a human, human and how do we stay connected to each other or understand that we have this, on some level, we all are experiencing separation and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say a little bit more about that moment that you realized as a teacher you were a bad mofo? Because it's one thing to say, wow, I really, I did something there, or I really enjoy this. I feel like I'm well suited yeah. to this. There's all that. But then yeah. that is next level what you're talking about. Yeah, well, that's still a work in process. Yes. But here's the thing. I record everything I do. And I noticed that when I first started recording things, I like the sound of my voice. And then all of a sudden, at one point, I started listening to things or like writing a book. And I'm listening to it and I get inspired. Hey, that's pretty good. Where'd that come from? But <laughs> 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 well, here's the thing I'm not there. Mm. So you're you're a, a conduit, yeah, a channel. Strong. So in other words, when when I forget myself, I find myself. Yes. When I'm when I'm when I'm focused on what I'm doing and not on how I'm doing, it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. And even now, I see it more and more. Even writing a book, I read my own book. I've written a book thirty four times. There's some good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But when you're in, when I'm in flow. We talk about the flow of leadership. When you're in the flow of leadership, it's like there's no leader there. There's nobody leading. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. That's deep. I, I got one for you. So you show up and there you are. Yes. Ah. Wherever you go, there you are. Yes. Yeah. So you just show up. But what you have, all you have to do is just bring your heart and mind and keep it open. Okay. And listen. And then when you listen and hear, the response will be obvious. We have another question uh, from a student. Can you address the feeling of hypocrisy uh, when leading while finding your own path and the backdraft or feelings of inadequacy or vulnerability that sometimes follow a wonderful present teaching? Yes, so I've had the experience of, of being with 
I can share one experience that was was when when the Celtics and the Lakers were playing in the NBA championship. I think it was two thousand and nine. I want to think, and I'm talking to the team. Uh, you know, like you have a game, so we have pre games. So we get together and you know we eat and watch film and everything. And I'm I'm talking to the team and leading them through a little meditation. And there's a voice in my head saying, "What are you doing here? You don't belong here." So my trauma, I got the trauma came up. And what I did was it's just like background music. I don't have to listen to it. I just notice it and keep doing what I got to do. So the role as a teacher can help sometimes because you're just doing what you got to do. So you don't have to believe what your your mind tells you. Okay. So you get what I'm saying, but that that's happening. But you got to understand, it's not reality. It's it's the mindset you're in. So somehow this is what happened. I dropped into doubt, fear, one of the hindrances we call them. You know, it's a hindrance. It's a sensual desire, aversion, uh, sloth and torpor worry, restlessness, doubt, doubt creeps in. So when doubt creeps in, you got to ask you, well, you know, whose mind is this? And, you know, is it true? And you say, well, what is this? So what's the answer? Well, I don't know. Or I feel a certain way. Okay. So you feel that way because that's based on some past experience or some, some, some uh, memory that you're tapping into that happened before. It ain't happening now. But the manifestation is there, so you just be in your body and feel it. So you feel this tightness there and this bare awareness. Just notice the tightness and just breathing through it and letting it be. Staying in that center. Yeah, the center of being in your body, just letting it. And then now it becomes a sensation. It's pulling, twisting, it's tightness, whatever. Then you're here and you're not in the story about it. Mm-hmm. So the story about it is like, in the flames next thing you know you got a, a you know a, a novel mm. might even be like Shogun or some thousand pages <laughs> oh, of the story <laughs> yeah yeah all the stories and then you say yeah and then, this and then you're not even present mm-hmm. here, here's the secret right now there's nothing wrong right only time could be wrong. You're thinking about what what happened or what happened, but right now everything's cool. Mm-hmm. And so, can you live that and expand that and realize that even if you feel a certain way, if you just be still and let it come and go, like everything else, it'll just flow by. Or make it be like background music in a restaurant. Just let it be there. Mm-hmm. Just focus your attention on your body and being present and what you're doing. Can you talk to us about? core values and identifying them and the other piece of that question is do they shift over time like at different chapters of our lives yeah i would say i would say like everything else they change but some some values you know the thing about core values is they're they're universal and timeless so love ain't gonna change this manifestation might change but love ain't gonna change so if we talk about love and kindness or being kind to self and others, that's always going to be a, a value that's going to be universal and timeless. So it's we not. Talk about, so we talk about joy, like appreciative joy. Why do we, and, and it's interesting. Here's, here's how I roll right now, these days. 
Krishnamurti was famous for saying, peace now and never. I say joy now and never. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, so joy and appreciative joy is a joy. It's an antidote to jealousy or envy. Why it's like, okay, so-and-so hit the mega bucks. God love them, you know, you know, you know, good for them through their own work, through their own comment and getting things. So, you know, so be happy for them. We're living in joy, then your cognitive function is enhanced and you can tolerate more pain and you feel more connected to yourself and others. So it's really about those those Brahma Viharas we talk about or the a blind divine abodes, a loving kindness, compassion practice, appreciative joy, equanimity. Just 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 not, you know, like, you know, we got the world eight worldly conditions, praise and blame. You know, I I, I taught at this one prison, it was a, a, a what they call a recovery unit. So there were two classes. I got the, the newbies and then the people that have been there for a while. So I both give the same presentation to both. Go and give the presentation to the newbies and they're stepping up and they're jumping up. Oh, that was great. That was awesome. And they were real happy. Gave the same presentation as the other dudes and they say, well, what time is this stuff going to finish? <laughs> you know, the same teacher. <laughs> so, so there you go. That's a teaching right there. So some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. So the thing is, just do your best and and just, and then let go of the result because you don't control that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's just being committed and being the best you you can be. And even if you make mistakes or it doesn't work, you learn from that. So you got to have a growth mindset. What's a growth mindset? A growth mindset says that it's, it's something to be learned. Life is telling you. So when you make a mistake, it's telling you, it's just feedback of what you need to learn and practice. Okay. So you, you live in a joy of discovery. You know, it's an amazing thing. You live in the mystery. We get to choose that. Hmm. And that's a tremendous gift in itself. Yes. And then everything else, will, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you'll figure it out. As <laughs> <laughs> what Campbell said, follow your bliss. Well, what will happen? If you don't get where you're going, you're going to have bliss. Right. Because well, a definition I have of success, well, I'm t- taking it from Earl Nightingale. Success is a progressive realization of a worthy cause or worthy goal. Mm. So it's not like, oh, when I get there, I'll be happy. No, mm-hmm. if you, this is what the happiness research says. You got to be happy now, then you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. In our final 35 seconds, what other insight do you want to share with students in this teacher training program? They have Buddha nature. They have a masterpiece, and we need them to be there who they are and only they know who they are and it's it, this process is or it's an inside job let me put it that way so when they ask michelangelo how does he create these masterpieces out of blocks of marble and he said all i do is chip away to get to the masterpiece that's already there mm-hmm. so we got a bunch of masterpieces here and we just got chip away be willing be willing to do what we need to do to to, to know thyself to be thyself, to share thyself, to express thyself. That's it. We need everybody in there. If you don't want to teach, that's fine. Just go and, and just be who you're supposed to be. George Mumford. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking I need to write all this down. It's a good thing I can like go back and look at it again and listen again. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. This, this was fun. Like I said, I had no idea what it, what, it, what I was doing, but it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It yeah. certainly was yeah. and is. Yeah. Just let it come. Just let it flow and I'll figure it out. But if I'm not there, it's probably going to be all right. <laughs> More than all right. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. So for me to say I'm a bad mofo, that took that that means I've grown a lot. Because a lot of times teachers like Jack Rabbit the tough said, dude, man, do you realize that you are the pioneer in this area? I said, Oh, I didn't think about that. Well, okay. But the part of me is like, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh man. So yeah, so yeah, I learned so much today. I that's my line. <laughs> I learned. No, no, so but much this is what I'm saying. But think about it this way. This mm. is what they say in a lot of places. But of course, miracles say all that I give is given to me. Mm. So if I give you grief, I'm getting that back. If I mm -hmm. give you love, if I give you wisdom, you're getting it, and then it goes that way. But it comes back to me. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for, for giving us that gift of wisdom and, and insight. That, that, that just, that feels good. It just all landed. Yes, yes, yes. Because you know it's to be true. It's already inside of you. You just have to remember or remind yourself. Okay. You bad mofo too. I, well, I'll take that. <laughs> well, you might not know it, but, 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 uh, but you got it. It's there. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, so 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 great to meet you. You too. I hope this isn't our last time talking together. No, no, no. You know, Jack is is my boy, and whatever he helps me to do, <laughs> or he asks me to do stuff. You know, I'm, I'm more happy to do it. But he does the same thing for me, so I, I'm I'm grateful to have. You know, who would have thought that starting this path, I would get people like. Like Larry Rosenberg, uh, Narayan Levinson, um, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein. Um, I can name, uh, you, you know, Tara Brock. I can keep naming them mm -hmm. on and on and on. I know all these folks. Back in the day, it was just, you know what I'm saying? And then mm -hmm. for me to be able to be teaching with them, it just goes to show me, I have no idea what's going on. And, I, you know, what do I know? I don't know anything. You I just need to show up and just, just be who I need to be. In the flow. In the flow. And then when that happens, anything's possible. Yeah, so I end up being part of eight NBA championships. I'm working with the Miami Dolphins, working in the, in, the, in the last bastion and, you know, paramilitary. But I'm teaching them guys compassion and love and, and, and how to be a human being. Okay. So that's it. So all I got to do is just be myself. I ain't got to recruit this show. Show what I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I need to do. Yeah, I'm a bad mofo, but I'm compassionate, and I hold you accountable, but it will be with a lot of love. Like I said, to be loving with a warrior spirit. Mm -hmm. That's it. All right, participants. You heard it here. <laughs> you saw it. <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. This concludes our mindfulness meditation teacher certification program broadcast. We extend our deep gratitude to George for this powerful presentation. And to all of you who joined us, your participation and your questions make these sessions so much richer. For Sounds True, I'm Christy Peoples thanking you again for being with us.